0: Is Africa's growing youth and fast urbanizing population a ticking time bomb or the key to the continent's growth? We find out this week on Africa Inc. According to the African Development Bank, about 12 million young people are entering the continent's workforce each here. But there are only enough jobs to absorb about a quarter of that population and while low economic growth is fueling that to a large extent, it's further exacerbated by the fact that there's a mismatch when it comes to the skills needed in the current labour market and the skills the workforce is actually being equipped with. So, how do we more effectively put Africa's youth to work? Joining me in studio today to take a look at just that is Employment Specialist at United Nations Agency, the International Labour Organization, Bernd Muller he's going to be sharing his take on the continent's biggest challenges to youth unemployment and measures that need to be taken in the formal and informal sectors to absorb more of our young workforce. Level executive at Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator, a recruitment agency and think tank that works with various stakeholders from NGOs to business and government agencies in putting youth to work adds to that conversation along with Owen Murphy who's head of accounting firm BD africa desk uh, with more perspective on public-private cooperation in creating opportunities for small business to thrive and creating alternative sources of employment too but before we get into all of that bronwyn is going to be giving us a quick overview of how pressing the jobless youth issue is in africa and what could be at stake if we don't get on top of it
1: Thanks Alicia. Well, Africa's population is the fastest growing in the world. Currently at 1.2 billion people, projections are for this figure to reach 1.8 billion by 2035, that's a 50% increase. What this population explosion means is that by 2035, Sub-Saharan Africa's population will also be the world's youngest. The opportunity is then there to utilise this young workforce to boost the continent's economic prospects. But is the continent ready to tap into this resource? As it stands according to the 2016 Africa Economic Outlook report, 9 out of 10 working youth between the ages of 15 and 24, including those in urban areas, are either poor or likely to be poor, which means that despite having a young and able workforce, this is not translating into job growth and so a growing middle class is also not being developed, which is likely to hamper economic growth. Youth unemployment also remains stubbornly high. In Ghana, a World Bank report has estimated that about about 48% of young people are unemployed. In Nigeria it's a similar situation with a country experiencing a youth unemployment rate of 45%. In a way this has necessitated the need for a spirit of entrepreneurship as many young people start to look to starting their own business instead of relying on established businesses to provide them with job opportunities. Government then needs to step in to create a viable business environment to support this shift. For many, Africa's youthful population is being seen as a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it presents the opportunity for business to take advantage of an enthusiastic workforce. But if that is not being done and unemployment levels continue to rise, that enthusiasm could be channelled into conflict and protest action which would hamper growth. Alicia, your panel of guests will be untangling some of what I've outlined here, so I'll hand it back to you. Thanks for laying out the context Bronwyn and on that we're heading into a short break
0: right now before our expert panel weighs in on that conversation so stay with us. Former Nigerian President Olusegun Obasanjo is amongst those to have highlighted Africa's demographics as being at the heart of the myriad of challenges African countries need to address if the continent is to become an economic powerhouse. In his co-authored book, Making Africa Work, a handbook, he points to Africa's population expected to double to 2.5 billion by 2050, even as the continent's problems with poverty, joblessness and health issues mount, and says that we will be in no less a frightful situation than we are today unless we stop doing business as usual with that being said the spotlight is turned on African countries needing to put plans in place in order to benefit from their faster growing younger populations especially as most of the developed world gets older so that the demographic dividend becomes not a liability but a boon so how exactly do we get Africa's fast-growing population to yield its demographic dividend joining me for the conversation today Owen Murphy who's head of the Africa Desk at BDO, Lebonke, executive at Harambe, and Bernd Muller at uh, United Nations Agency, the International Labour Organization. Welcome to you all and thanks so much for uh, joining me this evening. Bernd, I'm going to start off with you. Given Africa's unique demographics, the continuing shifts we're seeing, not only an escalation in uh, the number of youth that are unemployed, but the increasing urbanization trend we're seeing as well. Is that a boon or bust for the continent as you see it?
2: Thanks a lot, well I think it can be both or neither you know, uh, it is for sure and no one I think is downplaying that uh, tremendous challenge for the continent. We know that, that so many youth are coming into the labour market and of course we need to absorb them until we have, unless we will have it, tremendous pressure. Uh, economically and on the labor market as such. However, I also s- see it as a big opportunity. It's a huge potential. It's quite a unique potential that the continent has as a whole to have this young, dynamic labor force coming into the market that, that especially in times of digitization and then new technologies, probably are at least uh, inherently well-placed to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it comes to the right policies the right approaches to actually make that work so that is a huge challenge if we don't do anything about it it will be boon.
0: absolutely <laughs> so uh, we uh, try to uh, take bust. a low bust rather <laughs> <Sorry>. we try <laughs> and look at uh, some of uh, the situation and the challenges that have been surfacing why in your opinion Owen, is unemployment and youth unemployment in particular such a uh, an in tractable problem. What are some of the barriers that act as constraints into the, the jobs market?
3: Um, I think that uh, one of the biggest uh, problems is uh, it's the skills the skills gap and you know the, uh, I think traditionally what has, been, what has been happening is you've got the high school education and then you let everyone go to some tertiary education and they make the choice and now what we're seeing is they arrive in the labor market and there's a mismatch. So what, what we've been picking up a little bit is more, um, it's more of a dem- demand-driven uh, um, model where the guys are saying, okay, you've got the high school education, what, you gonna, what, do you, what more skills do you need? So you're saying, what does the market want? And then rather getting something more vocational. And then instead of, instead of the government providing uh, a standard vocational solution, the Government then provides funding to these people, and then they go and access that in the private sector mm-hmm. so that that was um that's just one of the uh, one of the things that uh, we've picked up, and we 've also been picking up from our clients uh, who are providing digital solutions in Africa and so the distance learning experience provided by the private sector is becoming more accessible
0: absolutely so. Let's bring you in level at this point because uh, this is where you engage. I mean, what have you identified? What evidence are you seeing of a stride being made in getting the match right when it comes to what the market needs and
4: what is actually being supplied? Mm. So, I mean, I think that's completely right. I'd agree about this issue of a supply and demand mismatch. I think that um, skills play a big part, but um, I think it's what kind of skills that we need to also consider. What we're learning at Harambee is that it's not just only about technical skills, but that a lot of employers um, talk about work readiness and this idea of being ready for work. And when you ask them what does ready for work mean, it's about being disciplined, it's about being, you know, showing up to work on time. It is about um, just being curious and being enthusiastic. So a lot of employers we meet tell us that, um, give me the will and I will teach the, the skill. And that's what they're saying that a lot of young people who are entering the labor market are missing. And um, so we, we've had to think about other ways that we try and identify what talent is and how to, how to match. If I think about a lot of the employers that we work with, a lot of them, well, we deal with entry-level work Mm -hmm. um, for for, uh, young people. And a lot of employers use numeracy and literacy as a way of um, screening and filtering who is talent. And um, the population that we serve, most of them, um, their schooling unfortunately hasn't been that great. And um, that doesn't really say anything about their level of intelligence, but it's about how they've been taught. So we started to look at other proxies that can tell us something about someone's ability to um, do logical work or um, whatever work that that may be out there. So I think when we start talking about like, you know, doing business unusual, um, it means that um, we have to think beyond skills in a very traditional way.
0: Yeah. Do you see a business opening up themselves to that kind of conversation? Because uh, something that I picked up is that South African employers in particular, um, In their apparent distrust of the quality of education that's uh, being provided to younger people have raised the bar for entry to jobs even higher and uh, you know if that's the case if that is the case then that becomes an even a bigger problem than what we've highlighted so far Uh,
2: not wanting to blame the employers for this in general but I think that's right there's a certain issue of, of what are the types of skills on the market and, and what does the market demand, as, as um, both have said. Mm-hmm. The I, I think w- we need to look at the demand side in the labour market as well. There's, 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 I came across this one saying, or this one quote, um, we need to find the jobs for the workforce we have. Mm -hmm. not the workers we would like to have. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people out there for whom this sort of skills development might come a little bit late, but but this is probably the majority and we need to find jobs for them. So we need to find the types of jobs Mm. in the labor market so that they can enter the labor market. (coughs) That means also we need to look beyond the types of jobs that are supposedly high skill or whatever, however you would want to Mm -hmm. define it, but we need to find the jobs that can absorb the majority of unemployed. Many of whom, as as we have heard and said, are not probably high skilled in that sense. Yeah. And and that means we need to also go into those sort of sectors beyond per, perhaps IT or the uh, fashionable sectors so to speak or sexy sectors in that sense that, that uh can have Let maybe more manual based jobs where more more um, applicable applied skills are needed uh, Maybe manufacturing or the likes. Mm -hmm. I think that's quite Mm -hmm. important
0: Having said that though Owen, we do have a shift happening in the modern economy right now And uh, you know very little evidence uh, translating in terms of the training keeping up with the Shifts that come with a more modern a more industrialized uh, economy
3: Yeah um, I was looking at the the sort of key drivers of um, absorbing the um, the unemployed, and I, I looked at I was looking at the manufacturing sector, the services sector, and then and then I did a little, little bit more reading, and I was doing, and and then one of the uh, things I came across was the informal sector, mm-hmm. and the informal sector currently um, currently is probably, in most countries, it's probably the largest employer, uh, thinking specifically of agriculture to, to some extent, and, and then they started talking about the, the government providing the um, facilitators to support the informal sector, which is actually a little bit unusual. You, know, you always say, how can we train people to be in the services or the manufacturing sector? And then you say, well, if you provide infrastructure for the informal sector, and the examples I gave was land, electricity. And also um, a, a slight lightening of regulatory issues. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't go and um, harass the hawkers and that kind of thing. You know that. So that was. T- t- so that that's a slightly different um, angle. And then, of course, if a, a person in uh, the informal sector becomes a successful uh, becomes a success, he starts migrating to b- to become a more f- in more towards the formal sector, and you get this sort of natural. Absolutely, sort of, um, cl- He climbs up the, the ladder.
0: Well, let's hit pause on the conversation for now. We're heading into a, a quick break, but we'll be continuing this conversation with Owen Levo and Bernd in just a bit, so stay tuned for that. Welcome back. Well, still with me in studio, the head of BDO's Africa Desk, Owen Murphy, Harambe Youth Accelerators Executive Lebon Kerr, and Bernd Muller from the International Labour Organization. And we're taking a look at how to best tackle Africa's pressing youth unemployment crisis. Let's pick up on where we left the conversation, and uh, I guess Owen giving us a nice segue into policy and regulation. Bernd, if business is to adopt a more risky approach in their hiring practice, you know, uh, becoming more inclusive as uh, Labour highlighted in their hiring practices. Surely, increasing labour market flexibility becomes an imperative here, where labour uh, laws that are rigid, for example, will make m- employers more hesitant to trying their luck, so to speak. Uh, are you seeing any stride being made in that respect? Because certainly in South Africa, we seem to be moving in the opposite direction.
2: Well, yes and again, yes and no. <laughs> the First of all, I think the main takeaway is uh, what ILO is uh, promoting, and for good reasons, is we are promoting a formalization. So so a gradual transition from informal to formal. (laughs) Reason being that, of course, while we know the reality of a large informal economy in Africa, across most economies, The working conditions are, of course, quite bad. By definition, it means there's no social protection for workers. It means no contract security, uh, probably lower wages, and so on and so forth. So, so there's a certain argument why formalisation is really important if you want to also move ahead with um, living conditions and and poverty reduction. That said, and then I think those arguments can go by side by side. I also agree with on what he said that there needs to be a certain. Flexibility in the sense that we mustn't demonize the informal economy. Mm-hmm. Because also within the informal economy, there's a lot of uh, diversity. There are better informal employers and worse informal employers. And we need to work with informality to allow them to become more productive, to offer better conditions, maybe to gradually offer more secure contracts, so that actually by that, they move to the more f- formal economy, but that doesn't mean we don't engage with Absolutely.
0: them. Absolutely. And it's a very uh, tricky balancing act to perform sure. here, uh, Owen, because you want to avoid policies that drive the informalization of uh, the workforce. So you want, uh, you know, a f- more formalized economy at the end of the day, but, you know, you've got to take it in its stride, I guess.
3: Yes, no, definitely. Um, you know, when when one does, when... Uh, b- uh, but I. I think one also has to realize the reality of Africa, and that the informal sector is so is so pervasive mm-hmm. that one has to say, well, you have to um, you have to d- design policies around it. And as I said, uh, successful informal traders often migrate to the formal sector, and then you have you have them then contributing to the social security grant system. And uh, so, I, I think it's a, I think it's a phased approach.
0: So, with what's been said so far, then is unemployment amongst the skilled a different problem to tackle compared to overall unemployment, and does it need a different policy approach?
3: Um, sure, <laughs> <laughs> I I, th- I think it does. Um, you know, once again, uh, once again, you are looking at. Um, how, how the government can position itself in uh, in the education sector um, uh, and then also th- of course there is a very um, in South Africa certainly there is a huge uh, you want to call it an incentive industry and then the decision has to be made by government who do we want to incentivize in South Africa certain industries have been targeted for example the automotive industry mm. gets a lot of incentives and those become very very tricky policies you so if you are Providing incentives in the formal sector, you know, which one do you choose and mm.
0: how do you measure mm. the success
4: of it? I, think. Yes. Yes. I mean, I just want to come in on there around policies because I think it's not just only labor <coughs> but, um, You know labor policies that we need to consider if we just think about South Africa and some of like the barriers to employment transport is a big issue mm-hmm. and um, You know, I think just because of where the jobs are and where people live um, I think on average a young person spends about 600 or close to 938 rands, um, you know, a month looking for for a job. 600 of that is is transport. And um, if you think about the number of people who are just surviving on social grants, on a 380 rand social grant, and it takes 600 rands to actually go out and find a job, um, I think that um, you know there can be some creative work done around like policies that um, serve. Work seekers and um, tra- around transport. Yeah. So I think that um, you know we need to think um, a lot, a lot broader. But uh, and I just want to also go back to this issue of skill. I think you know another way that we can think about it is just thinking more about proxies. I think that we are so obsessed with qualifications mm-hmm. that um, that is the only way that we get to recognize what a young person can do. And yet there's so many other proxies and so many other ways that we can, can tell examples, someone's um, you know, potential. So, that we c-
0: uh, so we can actually um, envision this. Yeah,
4: so I mean uh, we we work across um, you know various, in I'd say about like 10 um, industries. And um, when we think about who basically survives in a retail and hospitality um, environment. Uh, if you think about the fact that it's young people who have to work you know, seven days a week, you work on public holidays, you work on, on weekends, and um, for a lot of young people that, f- for example, is a big shock when they come into the world of work. And understanding um, people who are already active in the informal economy and um, are, who are showing in some way what we call voluntary agency, someone who's somehow hustling and making a way to mm. survive. Um, I think that should tell you something about what that person can, can do. We run batteries of assessments um, that are able to tell us the potential of a young person um, and what environments that they're best suited to be um, operating in. And in some cases, it does require a little bit of bridging that gap um, but it doesn't require two-year, three-year qualification. Yeah. And I think that there are shorter and thin slices of, um, of interventions that we can think of. Vern,
0: talking about uh, thinking broader, but also while there are gains to be made from addressing the skills mismatch through education and training, what about reworking something like immigration policy at the end of the day? What role do you see immigration of skilled labor playing and the opportunity that that potentially brings with it?
2: yes the the thing is of course m- immigration is always a, a difficult topic in the sense that it brings yet more workers into an already mm-hmm. stretched labor market so to speak so you need to manage that quite carefully and policy comes in there but it it could of course have a have a um, let's say um, um skills uh transfer effect that if you have high skilled workers coming in but i'm i'm not sure i would use it as the main example to tackle that um First of all, on the the issue of of, of formal skills and so on, what ILO is doing also, we're trying to to promote quite a lot what we call recognition of prior learning. So having those who don't have formal transcripts or formal certificates try to work with the governments or the education uh, authorities to to, uh, acknowledge the the type of learning they have undergone through their life, Mm. a lot of it might not be very formalized. So ILO is trying to work a lot on that. Speaking of policies and you ask what what really works and what are the differences, um, I think as a bottom line, that's always what I'm trying to bring across, uh, very often there's this mantra of growth uh, we need to focus on growth and so on. But I think that is not enough. We need to focus on those sectors and that goes for every country, not South Africa, not just Tanzania, any of them where you can identify those sectors that are particularly employment intensive. So you need to find those and nurture those sectors that work. And in each of these countries, they will be different. And a lot of these sectors might not even very much be there. There's the example of Ethiopia, for example, Mm -hmm. where there was no flower sector in 2003. The government came with a lot of targeted incentives and suddenly they're competing at the same level as Kenya. More or less, and hundreds of thousands of workers, 75% of which are women, have been employed in the sector. I'm not saying everything is great there, there are also some issues in terms of quality of employment, but this is a great example to see that you nurture particular sectors with very Mm -hmm. targeted incentives Mm -hmm. and identify those where you can create the jobs for the youth.
0: Well, let's leave it there. Thank you all for having joined me in studio this evening. Of course, that's uh, Owen Murphy, the head of BDO's Africa Desk, Labor and Care Executive of Atarambe and Bernd Muller, who's specialist at the International Labour Organisation. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's show, but you can catch Africa Inc. at the same time, same place, next week. And for now, it's goodbye.